I'm Becky, and welcome to another episode of the Salty Mums podcast, where we explore motherhood from a Christian perspective through women's stories and wisdom to help us remain the salt of the earth in today's culture. Hello, welcome back. I hope you've all had a really good summer and are now equally happy that the kids are back at school or preschool and getting into a bit of a routine. I've, I've got to admit, I was very ready for them to be back. We've had, a, we've had a lovely summer, lots of lovely things that we've done, going to the beach, going out, just chilling at home. I, I think the thing I value most in the summer holidays is that you don't have to get dressed until 10 or 11 o'clock if you don't want to. There's just something really nice about not having to rush out the door every morning as we do um, both week weekdays and weekends normally. So um, that's one of my highlights and just getting to spend time with the boys. But everyone was just getting a bit a bit fraught by the end of the holiday and we just needed a bit of structure again. So anyway, I am sorry there's been such a long break between the last episode and this one. Um, For various reasons, I had to take a break over the summer unexpectedly, but we are now back with six more episodes of season two. And if my plan goes to plan, (laughs) um, we might have a few extra bonus episodes as well. So um, watch this space. Now, if you're a Brit listening to this, you know that we love to both talk and even more so complain about the weather. And there's been a lot of complaining about the weather this summer, whether it's um, whether you're more on my side of things of complaining about the heat in June and the and last week with the, our little mini Indian summer, or whether it's been about the the sort of damp and cooler temperatures of July and August that we've that we usually expect. But Weather has dominated the news worldwide this summer. Uh, I noticed the other day that three of the top 10 stories on on BBC News were weather related in, in some way. And we're starting to notice that our world climate is less predictable and more extreme, whether that's record breaking heat or cyclones or hurricanes we're we're seeing the impact now of climate change on our weather patterns and the fact that climate our climate our weather is is increasingly um less predictable so i felt this was actually a really important discussion to have from a perspective as mothers and also as christians what is our place in that it's especially when if climate change continues at the rate it, it is doing, what impact is that going to have on our children's futures, on our futures? Um, what responsibilities do we have in the context of this? Um, but also, how do we go about doing something about this in a reasonable way where it doesn't become legalistic or overwhelming and and affect our, our daily lives through you know, the, the anxiety of it all, because it is, it, it can be quite terrifying. And I'm very pleased to say that I got an amazing guest, Hannah from um, Tear Fund, to come on and speak to us about this. And I want to say this is a really positive conversation, um, which left me really hopeful and uh, with some really good practical tools of things that I can take forward um and i just really hope that you find it as as helpful and as inspirational as i did
Hi, Hannah. Hello. How are you today? Yeah, really good. Thank you. Yeah. So, Hannah, you are on the campaigns team at Tear Fund and yep. a mum of two. Is that right? That is right. Yes. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a so bit yeah. more about yourself? Yeah. So I've been working for Tear Fund uh, since my firstborn was well, back from maternity leave for my firstborn. So that's eight and a bit years. Um, and yeah, and before that, I was working for different Christian charities as well. So I've always been Christian charity uh, worker, but Tear Fund's my first kind of uh, NGO justice charity. Um, and I feel very at home in that. I live in West London um, with my husband. He's a local councillor here. So we're quite embedded in local community. And yeah, my kids, nine and six, go to a local school, um, which we love. It's incredibly diverse and brilliantly down to earth. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of life is tear fund and family. And oh, we got a new puppy six weeks ago. Aww. So we are in the midst of manic puppy training. But it is all- like having another baby again, isn't it? It is for a shorter time, um, yeah. <laughs> but we are all suitably besotted, and yes, she's delightful. So, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure I want to go back to the puppy stage. We've got a seven year old Labrador, and um, <laughs> I quite like her being a bit older and slower. To be <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. Predictable. Yeah. So, you've come on to talk today about um, climate change. Um, and it's something that your climate change and the environment is something you're very passionate about. Did you get your passion from this topic from working for Tear Fund or did you join Tear Fund because you became passionate about it for another reason? Um, yeah, I mean, the short answer on that is Tear Fund's been a lot of my inspiration for my passion for climate and the environment. I think the justice element. So um, I've been on a journey about justice being part of the work of the kingdom of God. I've been on that journey for a while and that's what drew me to work for Tear Fund. Um, But it was listening to the stories of the people impacted by climate change through working for Tear Fund, you know, and the stories would become, they were becoming more and more intense from when I joined. It was like there was a turning point quite soon after I joined in the world where the climate was just ramping up. Um, So you hear more and more of those stories and, and And I was just my immediate response was, why on earth have I been part of churches the whole of my life? And we've not talked about this. Why have I never heard a sermon on this? I mean, things are changing now. But, you know, five years ago, um, six years ago, it was there was just hardly anything around in that kind of church context. And and I just became really stirred by it. And I actually got into a bit of trouble because at that point I was working in the fundraising team at Tear Fund and I'd go and meet with people and I'd end up talking to them about climate change and forgetting to ask them for money. Um, <laughs> so I just was so passionate about how everyone needed to be on board with this. Um, but then fortunately I got a job where I could just talk about climate change rather than um, ask for money. I still do ask for money, but just not all the time. Um, and yeah, so that it was through hearing those stories. So Tear Fund really ignited my passion for it um, and has given me a context to outwork that. Yeah. Has, has being a mum impacted your passion for climate change at all? Yes. I mean, as I said, I joined Tear Fund after my first maternity leave. So I have always been a mum thinking about these things. And I think it's quite a common experience to get to the point where you once you've got into kind of the realities of climate and what's happening to go 
what on earth have I brought my kids into? Um, It's quite a stark moment, which you have for a bit and then you kind of have to move on from because life carries on. Um, But yeah, thinking about what legacy I'm giving to my children and it's been a huge part of it and really wanting to show them that I did everything that I could to make this world a place that was functional for them and for their children like I felt feel like that's part of my the legacy that I want to leave for them I want them to remember that that was what I was doing in their childhood um so yeah that has had a huge impact absolutely and I think this is exactly why I wanted to do it and I think I'm probably more on the um on the scale of sort of anxiety and catastrophizing I'm probably on the the uh hard end of that a little bit and I will always see the worst in things sometimes but um particularly um as we've been having more heat waves as you've been seeing more on the news and sort of realizing the impact on that on my children personally but also just their whole generation um it for me it's become like a huge a huge deal actually and I've I've recently I've actually had to back away from the news a little bit because it was yeah. just been getting too much um for me to 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 deal with because it just it is and we can talk a bit about this more a bit, a bit later but the stuff that we're going to have to get over it's not just a case of like building a few wind farms but you know huge economic changes and things like that it I'm, yeah. I'm a bit a bit hopeless at the moment about it so I'm hoping you can you can channel my anxiety into something a bit more positive Um, and but let's get the the sort of scary stuff over with what is the deal with climate change and what are we looking at for potential consequences yeah so obviously we're already seeing some of these extreme weather events that you mentioned I mean um we had Uh, in 2021 California had the worst drought that had been there in a thousand years um, leading to all those forest fires in 2022 we had the floods in Pakistan where a third of the country was underwater and we're talking two million homes one million livestock washed away Um, 2023 we're seeing the worst hunger crisis of the century so far and there are currently over 46 million people um, who are you know, experiencing severe hunger in East Africa, seven countries in East Africa, um, which we're hardly seeing on the news at all. Um, And so, you know, these are the things, these are consequences of the climate change. Climate change exacerbates the risks of all of these things happening and increases the intensity of them. And the whole deal is, is that we are warming and, um, you know, governments have decided to try and keep that warming to 1.5 degrees C. So if you've heard about that thing of the 1.5 degrees, that's about, um, you know, from from base level, we needed to not get above 1.5 to restrict. That still has consequences. Like we haven't hit 1.5 yet and we're seeing the consequences. Um, But the point was to make decisions to try and restrict it to 1.5 degrees warming. Now, at the moment, we're looking to surpass 1.5 by 2027. Um, So we're not, doing enough quick enough we're needing governments to make faster decisions we're needing businesses to get on board wholesale and make massive changes as you talk about economic changes like just there are big changes that need to be made um so we we are rapidly closing that window um and 
if we don't hit it, I mean, the, the, the uh, what was it? It's 1.2 billion people potentially displaced by climate by 2050. That was the stat. Yeah. Um, so we're talking huge numbers of people without homes needing to move around. You know, we don't do well with with immigration anyway. Um, people are already shutting their borders because they're overwhelmed, got cost of living crisis like this. If we need to fix this, otherwise the amount of money it's going to cost to make our world function is is just going to be is going to be vast. So yeah, that is that is kind of the 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 bleak view, but we're not there yet and we still have time. And I think that that's the that is the hope, and that is why we are still working all out for it, um, trying to influence in any way we can, um, working with others to bring influence. Um, and I and I find that is that is my hope is that there is still time. We can avoid the worst of it if we make choices, um, but we need a whole load of people to be on board with that. To, to see that happen yeah and how how do you keep that hope and I know you said about you know there's that bit of time but um I've been listening to um I love the, the rest is politics podcast mm. um with Rory Stewart and Alistair Campbell and they talk a little bit about um the economic changes that need to be made not just for the environment but just for sustainability as well because at the end of the day yeah. we're in an earth with limited resources yeah. and and I guess even with some of the climate change stuff, you know, if you build solar panels or wind farms, they need, you need stuff for them, don't you, to be able yeah. to build them. And they're talking about how, you know, essentially we might have to change the world's whole economic model of, of capital, of capitalism and this idea of that the, the goal is growth for our GDP all yeah. the time. Um, and, and that, and I guess that has an impact on poverty as well, because, however much I dislike parts of capitalism, it does pull some people out of poverty, keeps a lot of people in poverty, but, um, and, you know, we're going to have to ask um, politicians to lay aside ambition and make difficult choices yeah. of service to, to, to humanity, essentially, aren't we? And I, um, yeah, so how do you, do, are you hopeful people can do that and humanity can pull together for that? <laughs> Big question, uh, <yes>. sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. At Tier Fund, we um, one of our main focuses is on environmental and economic sustainability. So a lot of our projects working around the world are looking about how we can have economic growth isn't quite the right word because it's just stability. It's economic. It's 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 enough. It's for people to have enough and um, in a way that is environmentally sustainable. So you know, we talk a lot about green jobs and, you know, that there are brilliant projects. I mean, just amazing things going on of young people starting to, I don't know, take plastic and make it into stuff and actually start businesses which change communities through through that, which is so it's helping the environment. It's making jobs. Um, solar panels, another thing that helps the environment, makes jobs. So we're doing we're investing a lot into that and we're not the only ones there are lots of people looking into those type of things um but but i guess it is about it's about the transition we need um to end our reliance on polluting fossil fuels we need to not do any more and we need to stop what we're doing but then we need a fair and clean energy transition that creates good jobs that 
gives power for homes and businesses, but that isn't contributing to the climate crisis. And so it's not it's not about stopping all growth. It's about growth being in the right areas, but also it's about measuring what what do we want to grow in? You know, this whole thing of well-being well-being includes people having enough you can't have well-being if you're in extreme poverty um i mean there's you can to a certain extent you know you see certain communities that have literally nothing and they just pull together but there has to be a certain level of basic to be have well-being and and so if we're looking at well-being you kind of include the elements of the economics in there but without having this inequality where you have billionaires and then people with nothing you're kind of bringing everything a bit more into line there will still always be difference but just not to that extreme and and i i have a hope of of what we are seeing where where we are seeing those things happen where we are seeing those people stepping out of poverty in brilliantly with brilliantly creative ways of being um and and if we could do the same here then we'd all be contributing to this greater whole. And it's something we're really passionate about at Tier Fund is how we can, how can, what is our, where can we influence the narrative? Where can we, you know, speak to the consumerism and the greed that is actually stopping our world being all it could be and what God's created it to be. Um, so that that's my hope. My hope comes from working alongside people who are passionate about these things as well. And, and we see, we do see the change in the communities we're working in. Um, yeah. Can you um, just expand a little bit? Because obviously you're talking about from a perspective of Tear Fund, and I've always known Tear Fund as a charity working to alleviate, alleviate and eradicate poverty. And you've talked a little bit about how climate change is having an impact on on poverty. Can you can you give us some specific examples of how climate change is making poverty worse for people? Yeah. Um, so a really obvious one is that climate change impacts weather. And so you've got communities who would have, uh, even if they didn't have masses of rainfall, it would be consistent and it would come at certain times of year and they'd have a rainy season and a dry season and they'd be able to collect the water they need in the rainy season or grow the crops they need in the rainy season to then harvest for the rest of the year and they'd have their systems that they'd worked out over generations. Climate change then comes along. The rains don't come when they're meant to. We're talking about, you know, four rainy seasons in a row plus where there is no rain. Um, you can't grow crops. You have to, ha- well, you definitely can't grow crops how you've been growing crops. You have to have climate smart agricultural methods, which, you know, completely change the way communities function. Um, and probably grow different crops and all of that kind of thing. So if, if you if you've just about been getting by and then the rainy season doesn't come, you then very quickly have very little or nothing. Um, so that's and, and once you, you're in those situations, you've got people. I mean, the, the stat is that climate change is seeing us go back by 50 years in terms of poverty reduction in wow. this world. Okay. So all of the movement forward we've had in the last 50 years, climate change could wipe a lot of that out. And obviously that was that stat was before COVID. So COVID has just exacerbated all these things as well. Because as soon as you've not got that income from food or you've not got enough to eat, you know, education goes down, child marriage goes up, forced marriage goes up, 
Um, and of course, war, like war is, if, if people are hungry, if people are fighting over land to grow things on because the slightly more lush land is over there, yet wars happen or exacerbated again by climate. So it kind of increases all of the issues that we've been working around. And we hardly have, we have very few stories coming out of the communities where we've been partnering with people in that don't include something about changing climate right now. Like it's story after story after story. So we have to, we, we're not going to fix poverty without fixing climate. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Big. Yeah. I'm a bit speechless. Yeah. When you, when you think about it and, um, and you think about um what was it is it the jubilee year is it in 20 we all had those white bands that we yeah. used to wear and um make poverty history that was it wasn't it yeah. and yeah you know thinking about all the progress that was made with that and since then and that idea of going back um yeah it's just terrifying it's, um yeah. so i wanted to say that i think that most people will be aware of the idea of the sort of the theological idea that um, were left as stewards of the earth in 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 Genesis. Um, now, I think in the past, to some, that's meant the earth is ours to use. But can you unpack that term for us and why it means there's a responsibility on us as Christians to do something about climate change or the environment more widely? Yeah. Um, so that that word, it's Genesis one twenty six, is one of the first places it comes. And yeah, it has. It's the word is rada. And it has often been, yeah, translated as dominion or, and a stewardship was almost the nicest, but still, it was still this sense of we have power over um, and we can, as you say, we can use it however we want. And that's what we've seen, isn't it, um, over history. And to be honest, especially Christians um, have, have found felt like they have power over to take control and take charge. Um, and where that word rather is used in other places of the Bible, it's actually interpreted as caring for or um, what's it like have compassion for. It's more of that sense of uh, a benevolent ruler or a loving father, someone who leads like God leads. So if we think of the way we see the Holy Spirit moving in the world and God moving in the world, they don't ransack things for their own good, do they? They they care, they empower, they support, they allow to flourish. And so, you know, I think if we think about it like that, what is our role as, as humans to allow God's creation to flourish? Um, and, you know, I think we, we've done the opposite of that. That has been our, that has been our journey, um, which is, incredibly sad and and it is an area that I just I so wish that Christians had led the way on um there have always been Christians involved in in the climate movement in the environmental movement but it's been a fringe part of the church and I think it's it's totally time for it to be a really central core part of who we are as followers of Jesus absolutely and and what about what about the rest of the bible is there anything else that you'd encourage us to take well is, sorry is there anything else that in the bible that would encourage us to take an active active role in in climate change prevention um 
Yes, uh, th there are so many different ways to answer this question. So I'm going to go for two. Um, <laughs> and one is that, um, so at Tear Fund, our theology is that Jesus didn't ju just come to restore our relationship with God. He did come to do that. But he also came to restore our relationship with other people, with ourselves and with creation. And that's what we see in that Genesis story it, in the fall. Those are the relationships that are broken. You know, before the, the glory of Eden was that we walked with God, that there was peace amongst humanity, that um, we had no shame, like we, we were at peace with ourselves and that our, our relationship with nature and with creation was, was a good thing. It was a symbiotic relationship. Um, and then the fall happens and then those relationships are broken, all four of those relationships. And we see the outworking of that all the way through history. Um, so that at Tiffon, that's our theology of poverty, that those four broken relationships, if you restore all four of those relationships, people will not be in poverty anymore. Um, and but and it so you have that very strong thing of our relationship with creation being a really important um, part of what it means to build the kingdom of God on our on this earth. Like it was it was meant to be that our relationship with creation was good. I say creation. We are creation. Our, our relationship, you know, that we are part of it. We we've separated ourselves. And actually, although we were given a mandate, we are still part of creation. And, and if we don't care for creation, we're not actually caring for humankind either. So it's like it's this part of the bigger gospel. Um, and so therefore, I think it should be a core part. So you, that and that I can't pick a certain Bible passage for that. That's like a overarching. I mean, I could, but we'd be here a while. It's an overarching <laughs> theme throughout the Bible. Um, but and but if that is all too much to think about, for me, the simple thing is loving our neighbor. Like this isn't just yeah. a nature crisis. This is a human crisis. This is a justice mm -hmm. issue. People are dying. And, you know, Romans 13 says, um, you know, the commands are all fulfilled in loving our neighbor. And it says love does no harm to a neighbor. And the fact is that the way that we're using the planet is harming our neighbors. And I've not checked this with a theologian. So that's my little premise. But the next line after that verse, it says, and do this, like something like do this according to the times. And it's like saying loving our neighbor might change what it means to love our neighbor might change over time. And right now we are in a crisis where loving our neighbor means concentrating on looking at how we're treating the planet mm -hmm. and doing yeah. some changes on that. So if, if nothing else and love, love your neighbor, that's the kind of theological piece that all of the Christians I know in the climate world all join, can join around that it's impacting yeah. our global neighbors and therefore we must act. Um, yeah. It's quite simple, really, in some ways, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And are you finding um, the church in the UK and or worldwide is engaging with this issue more? Yeah, definitely. We've seen we have seen a shift um, and it, and it's all happened quite quickly. It's been quite nice. And uh, so we've gone from being some of the only people that are talking about it and being asked to be in every single space as climate specialists well not being having to fight for our space not being wanted 
being suddenly really wanted to now people have got it and can are running with it themselves. Um, and when I say that, I'm talking about churches wanting to reduce their carbon footprint as a church to look at how they are engaging with yeah all, all of those kind of green issues um i'm not saying that it's a done deal there's still a lot of work to do and you know the church of england put a target to be net zero by 2030 and i think that is a huge like it that's going to be a huge challenge like it's not going to be easy um but you know if 10 years ago we knew that that target was coming we would have all been in absolute shock so i think we're incredibly it's incredibly exciting to have been working in the christian world in the last five years on climate it's just it looks so different than it did um but we have a long way to go yeah that's it that's really encouraging though isn't it it's um i'm really glad to hear that <laughs> i mean we i um I heard maybe one sermon in in 10 years about it and and sort of climate change has um uh been something that maybe you get at a couple of summer festivals as sort of a, a one-off yeah. talk hasn't it but I'm so glad to hear that that is that is changing um yeah. and are you seeing like interdenominational interdenominational work between churches um and you know to do that or to change things um, how to answer that question? Yes. So I think there's a lot of stuff going on at denominational level. Yeah. Um, people are trying to work out how to get it, um, how to work as denominations on it, what their take is on it, what they're trying to encourage churches to do, what they're training their leaders in. Those conversations are happening. Um, interdenominational, um, it, it's still more the NGOs that are working together and then some denominations will join in. Um, so we had a lovely time where the Salvation Army rocked up at, um, well, they came and took part in a service we were having um, as part of the big one in Westminster. So there were like a thousand, I, I don't remember numbers. There were lots of people, um, lots of Christians there and the Salvation Army being part of that was absolutely brilliant. So that there are, they're a denomination that are kind of that are turning up and um, speaking out together with others. So, yeah. And then the Church of England is has been quite vocal about it in different ways. Um, I think other denominations. Yeah, it's a it's a it's an array. Um, really yeah I think that's all I can say. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that about Salvation Army. We used to go to Salvation Army Church in when we lived in both Nottingham and North London as well and um uh just being amongst um Salvationists they were just so inspiring with their their just their passion for justice and yeah. um so they're a very yeah. natural, <laughs> very natural yeah. what you've been talking and, about and when you go on a climate march having a Salvation Army band is pretty much perfect like what oh, yeah. could you ask for <laughs> My husband actually, because um, there was a lot of chat when we were at the Salvation Army about um, uh, whether the big band worked anymore, and um, we we'd always gone to church and whatever. But um, my husband was in Nottingham City Centre when he was just a student there before I moved to Nottingham, and he heard the band and literally followed them back to the local. So like he, it worked for him. So 
um, old school sometimes works but there we go um yeah. and what what do you think has caused that shift in churches waking up do you think it's actually seeing the impact of climate change and that's actually kicked people at the backside a little bit yeah i think the consequences can't be denied and you know it's been more in the news um I, d- I wonder what the impact of COVID was, um, just because it all happened at the same time. Um, and I think there were more conversations about, do we want life to continue as it was? Um, do we want, do we want big, any big things to change? And as it happens, not as many big things changed post COVID than we wanted them to, but at least those conversations happened and were started. Um, but I think, yeah, it's, it's seeing the reality of it. The science is now super clear. Um, there are very, there are much fewer, much fewer climate deniers around. Um, and, and I think the, I think in this country, actually, the COP26 talks in Glasgow being on our shores gave a real opportunity for churches to talk about it when they hadn't before. Um, and yeah, we saw we saw a massive swell of people engaging with our work around the Glasgow UN climate talks in no, that November. What was that 21? I think. No, I can't remember. That's bad, isn't it? Which year it was. Um I think it was 21. Um, and yeah, and so I, I so I think there are a number of different factors, but when it's now on the news as a done deal, like this is what's happening, climate change is causing these things, you know, that is a huge shift. Um, and, you know, that's BBC, Sky News, that's all, all you know, main news channels. It's difficult. And then asking the question of what, what is our response as Christians? Yeah. Um, and we've been in a lovely place as Tear Fund to be like, you know, we we kind of we can join up these dots yeah. because this is a space we've been moving in for for a long time. Um, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I am no Boris Johnson fan, to be fa- but to be fair to him, one of the things that he did do was raise the, the profile of the environment because yeah. I think probably because it was his wife's passion. But <laughs> um, but um, yeah, and there there is some. There is some good stuff, isn't there, as well, going on in Britain. And I know there was a BBC article that came out this morning about how we're no longer seen as climate um, uh, leaders in the UK because we're still investing in fossil fuel, fuels and stuff. But then yeah. there was another article in the BBC recently where you could uh, look at where countries all around the world were on their pledges, what we needed to be to hit the 1.5 degree Celsius thing and also what our current policies were. And actually the UK was doing pretty, pretty well actually. And um, I'm sure that's thanks to, you know, NGOs and and lobbyists and, um, and also probably innovation in the UK. We've got a lot of innovative technology, haven't we being invested in, but. um, Yeah, we do. Yeah. And I just think it all needs to be just more and faster. I think that is the problem. Like, you can make changes and people can think oh great we've made changes and it's great that we've made changes but we need we need more I mean here locally um, we have a very green they're not a green council um, but they are a very green council if that makes sense they just, climate's a really important issue to the point that everyone complains because they're trying to reduce traffic and trying to you know 
yeah, there's a lot of things that locals can complain about. But, you know, a council like this wouldn't have existed 10 years ago to, with this amount of green strategies. And, you know, so we are we are constantly as a country upping our game, I think. But, you know, we we need the massive companies to come into line. And that is the that is the sadness about I'm excited. I don't know if this is probably geek information, but, you know, the Church of England have said that they're going to divest their pensions from um, Shell, which in a lot of the climate world is a great celebration. But it's also a level of sadness because you want Shell to change. We need Shell to change. And the fact is they haven't. And the fact is that the Church of England have tried and they've had to give up and they've had to move on. Now, if that if that had worked, if they're if they're working as shareholders with Shell had worked to change Shell, we would be in a way better place than them having to divest because that would be a massive change in the world. Um, so, you know, it, it makes sense, doesn't it, for Shell to because they're investing in their own future because there is going to be a time in the very near future where governments are stopped. Well, we're going to stop getting people to invest in, in gel. We're not going to be using petrol or diesel or yeah. gas. Yeah. And they've had these huge profits over the last yeah. few years. If I was a CEO, and I'm no business strategist, but I, if I was a CEO of Shell right now, I'd be like, right, I'm going to pump this money into m- making us a green company so that we can be the energy providers of the future. Just to me, it makes good business sense, but. Yes. What do I do? Well, what do I know? <laughs> write that in a letter. That would be brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so all of this so far could seem quite overwhelming and a lot of responsibility. And many people listening are probably at a particular, or particularly time poor of life with a baby or juggling work and children. And I think when you've got kids, it's a time of life when you feel you're buying a lot of stuff for them. Um, and or you're often turning to doing things that are more convenient I mean for me one of my uh bits of guilt was that I never used reusable nappies for instance but I had two children with allergies which meant basically (laughs) five or six punamis a day (laughs) and just and the amount of sleep deprivation I got from those allergies it just was not a option probably more for my mental health you know I just had no energy to deal with those things so yeah a lot of these things are less environmentally environmentally friendly but more convenient so realistically what can we do as mothers to help with climate change yeah I mean the first thing I want to say is that this is not about guilt in like this can't be about guilt and if we think about any area of our kind of Christian life discipleship walk with Jesus, God is never asking us for perfection. He's always just asking us to be open to his leading and to take the next step. So, you know, I I know all of us can have very high standards for ourselves, but, you know, God, God is just, he's way more interested in our hearts, isn't he? Than, than, than that very detailed kind of level is interested in the details too but more about our hearts that's all I can say um but I mean one thing we can all do at this stage of life is to spend more time in nature and especially when you're in that kind of young kid stage taking time in engaging with nature talking to your kids about what they're looking at asking them what they think about it um taking time to appreciate it let it restore you 
all of those things. And I think the more we do that, it not only heals ourselves and our souls and we meet God in those spaces, but also it just change, shifts our mindset in a, in a natural way rather than us trying to make ourselves do anything. Um, so I'd say that's one thing we can all do. Um, and then the second thing, which has been a massive like this has been one of my biggest shifts is just thinking through what I'm buying, like just taking a couple of seconds before I press buy on, on my phone to do, do we actually need this is, do we have anything else that can do what this thing does? Is it, do what, can I borrow this from someone? Um, can I get this easily secondhand? Um, all of those type of things, just, just a quick check. And, and I, at one point in my life, I was, you know, being a bit like crazy on Amazon because it's just so easy, right? You just click a few buttons and something arrives from Amazon. And so I just removed my card from my Amazon account so that I had to be way more, the process was way longer for me to buy something. And within a couple of weeks, (laughs) I just managed to stop buying from Amazon. You know, Amazon isn't brilliant company anyway, but just also it was just reduced. It was my consumption was going a bit nuts. So just, just little things just to break it. And, 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 um, and if in doubt, if you can buy secondhand, you're, you're stopping something going from landfill at least for a while and you're not asking for something else to be made and so you know all of those spaces where you can get secondhand especially in that stage where kids are growing out of clothes within two seconds and vintage is such a good uh, I mean I've only discovered it in the last six months and I actually got my bank account blocked on that because I spend so much on it. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's an admission. That's an achievement. I know. Yeah. yeah. It was, I bought that much, but I think they were just a bit like, oh gosh, I've not seen this amount of spending on this before. Um, but yeah. yeah, I've just, because it was one of those things where, you know, the kids had grown out all their clothes and I was like, right, I'll just buy and buy and buy and buy. And um, yeah, that's been a great resource for, for me as well. Cause I've <clears throat> put on a bit of weight recently. So I had to buy myself some new clothes and, I've actually got some nicer clothes than I had before off there. It's great. Secondhand. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think, I mean, secondhand is great, but, and, and, and then the other side of the buying is the thinking about the kind of companies you're buying from and whether they are ethical. Now those bits that takes time and effort. And if you're time poor, that is difficult. What I found is finding a few friends who were going to go through on those journeys anyway, that I could just steal what they'd learned. Um, that was that was my way through that. So I just take advice from my friends on on swaps and on, you know, better companies to buy from and things like that. Um, but I think it's about going with what is helpful. I do remember a time when um, it, my my daughter had just stopped breastfeeding my eldest. And so we were drinking a lot more cow's milk in the house because she was on cow's milk at that point. And I was getting really annoyed by not being able to judge how much we all needed and having to pop down to the shops. And then, then this milkman knocked on my door and went, I'm just starting a delivery in your area. Would you, would you? And I literally just almost bit his arm off. My, my husband laughed <laughs> at the kind of excitement. I was like, yes, I really, really would like you to deliver my milk. And, but that meant glass bottles and that means less plastic and it is more money. It's one of the things that I decided that I was going to spend a bit more money on for the convenience, for the eco side of it. Um, but, you know, that was a swap that helped me, that added to my life. 
life. And I think there are others like that as well. Like I use shampoo bars. I have to wash my hair way less than I did using bottles. Again, it's a swap that works for me and it adds to my life. And I realized the other day that my kids didn't even know how to use shampoo from shampoo bottles. And at some point I was probably going to have to show them how much they needed because <laughs> otherwise they wouldn't know. But it these these things don't have to be like oh, this is going to add loads to my life. If you find something that works, go with it and keep doing it. And don't beat yourself up about the other things which are more difficult. Um, but then three other things which are just the kind of staple, this is really going to help climate, is eating less meat, especially red meat. Um, so we we pretty much only eat beef or lamb as an absolute treat. We're not, we're, we're not, I mean, kids, you know, kids are fussy, kids are tricky, it's hard, but chicken and pork are about the same as cheese on the level of climate impact. So if you're not gonna be vegan, you can do chicken and pork fairly, you know, it's, it's a lower level, it's the lamb and the beef. The beef is up the chart, the lamb is quite up the chart. So just by reducing your red meat intake and other meats if you can you'll make a huge difference and it saves you lots of money too um and then reducing food waste is another thing which i think we can all do just being a bit more savvy with what we're doing um we do smoothies with gone off fruit as a regular thing now um we also have a lo lovely little compost heap which the kids join me in kind of turning and um you know, just just being more aware of planning our meals and and not and wasting less food, um, and then and then the other thing is the is the flying issue, which for some people that's easier than others. If you've got family abroad, it's it's really hard to say I'm not going to fly. I I'm I'm not going to say to people don't fly, but I'm going to say to people, let's think of flying as a privilege because it is and not everyone can do it and it's not a right it's it's a privilege and it's a privilege that impacts our world so let's take it seriously and do it see it as the real treat that it is rather than the norm um and we also we decided that when the kids were young kids were small we were just going to do holidays in england and we've massively enjoyed that exploring this beautiful country that we have I am looking forward to doing some bigger trips when they're older, but we just decided that they they would make as many memories here than they would anywhere else. And we get friends to come with us far more easily when we're in England or the UK. Um, so we've done that. And also I'm plotting some brilliant like European train travel with them as well when they're a bit older. I've got a few trips in my mind. We will take them flying at some point, um, but we just decided not to do that at this stage of life um, because because we didn't need to um, and COVID in the middle of that as well. So um, so it's it's I, I don't want people to feel bad if they have to and if they need to. But it's just c continually questioning these things that actually do have a massive impact. Um, yeah, our, our boys have never uh, flown. I mean, they're only four and six. And we've we've both come from families where we did lots of trips in, in Great Britain anyway yeah. um and next year we're we're going to go to kenya to visit family lovely but i kind of thought of that of, and i thought a little bit about the flying impact of that but i thought actually that's a trip that will stick in their memories as 
the importance of the big wide world as well and yeah. nature because we're going to do safari yeah. um but um yeah there's loads of lovely yeah. places in britain isn't there Cornwall yeah, there is. and wales yeah. yeah love it love it <laughs> that's really helpful thank you um, and if people are anxious about about climate change or feeling guilty um I mean, you've talked a little bit more about the, the guilt aspect, but have you got any tips for managing these big emotions, mm. especially from maybe a, a bit of more of a Christian perspective? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think just because I don't think I've said, I haven't said this, I probably have said this, but I'm saying it again. We live in a broken system. And so anything that you change as one person is only going to have a certain impact. What we need are for the systems to change. So if you're feeling like, oh, I just really can't make any changes, you, you, know, you making the changes, it, that's not the thing that's going to change the world. That And that that's the stark reality of it. So we need the systems to change. It is proven that if you are anxious about something, taking action reduces your anxiety. So making some of those changes or just even reducing something probably would help with your anxiety and your big feelings. But we also need to challenge the systems. So if you're not someone who can change things in your everyday life, can you write to the head of the company that you like buying from and just challenge the system a bit? Can you join a campaign that does that? Uh, can, can you do something else that maybe isn't a swap? Um, so I think that there's that to say. But um, I think... I think the talking about it is a big part of it. And I know that my my anxiety is less because I talk to other people who are also trying to do stuff. Um, and I have a group of mums locally and um, we're kind of, we've taken away any of the shame of borrowing stuff from each other, like so that we don't have to buy new, that kind of thing, like building those communities where it's completely right that you don't have four lawnmowers between four families when you live really close to each other and you can just borrow one every few weeks like it's it there are we actually don't do that that was a completely off the wall example <laughs> but you know what all of those things like what what are those things that you can you, know, you can build community around and do things together and enjoy doing things together it like builds community rather than keeps you separate from each other so I think those are all all things but then but then obviously there's there's the there's the stuff that we can do with God and it's about talking to him, bringing it to him, telling him our fears about our children, telling him our fears about the world, asking for his perspective, asking for his promptings as to what our part to play is and and then act, acting on those. Um, I, I think that that has been the bit for me of um yeah just it keeps me in check from either thinking that I'm useless and we're never going to get there or I'm the hero and I'm going to fix everything like I'm neither of those things I am someone who's just playing my part um and and engaging with others on the journey yeah. um to either encourage me or to encourage them you know we journey together um that's yeah. so that's so helpful yeah, really helpful. Thank you. Um, and by the way, your your lawnmower example—that's my dragon's den idea for the future of Ooh, tool nice. pool. 
I yes. keep thinking that we should have like little sheds on each street where you like subscribe to your tool pool and that money goes into a pot and you'll share your tools on the street that would be amazing and then having <laughs> having someone who can just fix them when they're broken as well who can yeah. just go around and who knows what they're doing that's the other thing of the fixing yeah I can't I wish we had something like that locally I'd love I feel it Deborah Meaden would like that because she likes uh, the buildery stuff and she likes sustainability nice. so yeah, yeah. it's yeah, my well idea done. for making my millions one day. you've just shared it with the world <laughs> if someone goes and steals that now I'm suing you <laughs> No, I won't, copyright help the environment. official yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and just a final question um just thinking about talking to our children about about this because I mean for example my six-year-old he's a warrior and a thinker mm. so I've been very careful to talk to him about stuff like this and I've been talking about him like the more sort of environmental things like making sure there's no plastic in the oceans and things like that and how we yeah. can make sure we recycle. I haven't really talked about climate change to him, but is there a good age to start on these and and how honest should we be with our children? Yeah, um, it's a good question. And you brought up an interesting thing there saying, you know, he gets anxious. Like, I think our children are all different, right? So we need to do this as it's right for our children. But I, I mean, I've always talked to my children about making choices that look after the planet um and that's a very easy way in you know we are making this choice because it's the best thing for the planet you know you can't just have that massive plastic toy that you've just seen in the window partly because we don't have money for it but partly because you know we don't just buy things like that on a whim we think about it we buy the things we really really want and we try and get them secondhand and they know all of that like that's just how their life has been set up and I hope that that means that they won't have to make some of the bigger shifts that our generation have had are having to make them you know how we how we were brought up so I think talking about caring for the planet is is just fine from whenever um and but then because of my job I mean my kids have been on climate marches with me um they have kind of been quite but they, they love they do love they do love a good march about pretty much anything so <laughs> it's like it's the it's the environment it's the it's the kind of feel the community feel that you yeah. get from a march that they love and you know my my elder daughter she's she's nine and probably from five or six she really comprehended this stuff like I obviously wasn't going to tell her that you know how many million people were going to be going to die in disasters this year I wasn't going to tell her that kind of stat but I was saying that it's making hot people it harder for people to grow food and there are more floods um which just means that people lose their homes and you know that kind of thing so you're not talking as much about the death elements but the that some of the physical impacts um with my son it, it, he's not quite in that space he's six but I still haven't had many of those conversations with him so when Elise comes on a climate march with me, she knows what she's doing and she is marching for climate justice. She gets it. Whereas Max just comes for the fun of holding a placard and dancing around. And that's <laughs> absolutely fine. So I think you have to go at the speed that they go. And remembering that they do talk about it at school now, it's not going to be a completely foreign topic for them for long because it's meant to be all the way through education um, and and yeah, and I, I just think my heart on it is that my kids know how to be responsible humans from the word go. And that includes this area of life. It includes being 
good at relationships and friendships and it includes so many parts of life doesn't it but this is another yeah. part of life that I'm just trying to help them grow as best I can um yeah yeah, yeah I'm the other thing I'm doing with my kids is um encouraging them in the garden mm. and sort of yeah. talking about the bees and the butterflies and how certain plants are good for that and like I've changed quite a bit of my garden recently to be a bit more drought tolerant um right. and I've done a wildlife pond with a Belfast sink recently and we've talked about why I've done that and why we've put a water butt in that so so yeah there's little yeah. things that you can do isn't there to sort of talk about how important yeah. things these different things are but yeah absolutely. that has been so helpful Hannah and <laughs> it's um yeah it's something that I'm growing very quickly and passionate about this topic and um um beating my drum about a bit so um it's, it's very prevalent in this area as well we're just having a huge so pipeline shoved oh, yeah. through our town at the moment and they've dug up loads of trees yeah, for yeah. it and it's a bit it's like a bit of a visible um reminder <laughs> of a visible scar and, through your town <laughs> yeah. yeah especially because they pulled down oaks and all sorts you know. oh wow but there we go. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you want to follow Hannah, I will. Um, you can find her handle at Hannah Bowring on Twitter and Hannah J Bowring on Instagram, or is that the other yeah. way around? Yeah, yeah I think it's that way around. Yeah. Um, and Hannah's given me some great links for Tear Fund's rubbish campaign, um, the Christianity and climate change short film series, and the Hopeful Activist podcast. So I'll oh, put yeah. all those on the uh, show notes for you to find, and I'm sure I'll share them when. Um, on social media as well um can i just say a few things about those just quickly absolutely just, yeah just go for it context. so yeah so the rubbish campaign is our new campaign at tier fund um which so basically it's about the they're making a un plastics treaty over the next few years so loads of governments involved and we're trying to make sure that certain things are included in that um specifically that protect um, the poorest and most vulnerable in the world who are most impacted by plastics. You can imagine just those kind of rubbish dump type feel things in communities. Um, so if you're interested in actually taking a simple action that might that will make a difference, that's something to engage with. Um, and the if you're interested in more of the theology around climate, those climate change and Christianity videos are there with the brilliant Catherine Hayhoe, who is a climate scientist based in Texas, married to an evangelical pastor in Texas. So she gets Christians and the climate and she's a brilliant communicator. So we've put some films together with her. And then the final one, if you are interested at all in being a Christian who brings hope through activism or just through being engaged in some issue the hopeful activist podcast is just full of stories of christians doing amazing things um a lot of them uk-based because it's a uk-based podcast but um yeah just it's one of those ones that i just every so often i go and listen to an episode and i feel hopeful at the end of it that we can actually do something to change the world so if you need that that's where you go definitely check that (laughs) i love hearing stories like that as well it's just um such a boost um can i pray for you before we go is that okay yeah lord we thank you so much for hannah's passion for your world and we thank you for charities like tear fund who work so hard to raise awareness of and help to stop and help those affected by climate change 
we pray that the church wakes up and becomes a fertile ground for Hannah and Tearfund's message of our responsibility to care for our world and our neighbours. We pray also for those working in politics who are making the decisions which will ultimately pause climate change and stop the impact of climate change increasing. And we pray for those currently suffering the greatest impacts of climate change, whether that be drought, flooding, wildfires. And we pray that the church, sorry, we pray that we, that they see the church as a place of refuge and a place of action. And I pray for us personally that we might learn from Hannah's story and wisdom, that we take on our own responsibility for the earth, that we become more countercultural away from the world's message, that we are what we have but instead we become shining lights for responsible and sustainable living for those living around us, whether that's family or friends. Amen. 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 Oh, thank you. Oh, no, thank you. This has just been a fascinating conversation. I'm sure there's lots. I could talk to you all day about this um, <laughs> and all the environmental stuff. The Just one question. The the rubbish campaign, is that the sponsor a bin campaign? No. Um, so that was that's with bin twinning, which... Oh, bin twinning. Um, yeah so th this is more it's a petition that we you sign that will that will go to the decision makers around the plastic treaty um the uk based ones those but we're doing it's a global campaign so we've got the campaigns going in all i can't remember the stats of how many countries but it's across mm. across the world um because tier fund has yeah we've partnered with lots of different people around the world mm. to do the campaign so there'll be lots of governments getting the same message um cool. to contribute to the treaty so yeah well like you say super easy action and, and tier fund often share stuff like that on their email marketing don't they of yeah yeah little actions that you can do which take five minutes and stuff yeah so, yeah yeah so check out that and um, thanks so much again hannah thanks rebecca it's been really lovely to talk to you lovely to meet you too bye, bye. remember all the links that we've talked about today can be found on our show notes if you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do remember to hit subscribe if you haven't done already. And even better, you can help us reach a wider audience by giving a quick review on whichever platform you're listening on. See you next time.